0: Amen. Pray with me for a moment. Father God, we ask that you bless the hearing of your word. We ask that you bless the preaching of your word. These things we ask and pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, good morning, Redemption Tempe. Amen. Amen. That was a strong good morning this morning. Well, I first want to start off with Happy Mother's Day for all the moms here in attendance. Amen. Amen. Just want to thank you. Thank you also for all you mothers. I I grew up in churches where older women were called mothers of the church. So we want to we want to raise them up and give them thanks too. They may not have children, but we are their children, all of them, and we give them honor, the mothers of the church. So this morning I want to start off with this idea that that uh, truth and biblical truth and biblical correctness is important. It's important to be correct in your understanding of what the Bible says. I remember a friend of mine who did some discipleship with me, and he had uh, younger kids, and he always taught them Bible studies, and he was the the Bible teacher in our children's ministry. And one day he was in class, and he asked the kids, he says, what are the five books of Moses called? And his son, because he sat under his teaching for such a long time, he put his hand up. He said, I know, Dad. He said, okay, what's the answer? He said, they're called the prostitute. (laughs) Should have been Pentateuch. (laughs) Biblical accuracy is important, right? (laughs) It's important. And so in, in chapter one, that's what Paul is doing for us he's laying down the truth of the gospel, the truth of who Jesus is, the truth of who the church is, the truth of what we believe about Jesus, and he wanted to explain to them and to drive that deep into their hearts. He writes this, he says, since we heard in chapter, in verse Chapter 1, verse 4, since we heard of your faith in Christ Jesus and of the love that you have for all the saints because of the hope laid up for you in heaven... Of this you have heard before in the word of truth, the gospel, which has come to you as indeed in the whole world, and it is bearing fruit and increasing. Paul was letting them know that the word on the street was they were true believers, that they had real faith, tangible faith, active faith, that they had the the trinity, faith, hope, and love. It was a community of faith that put their trust in the Lord of the gospel. He goes over what the gospel is, but the gospel, I love the way Paul explains it in 1 Corinthians 15, 4, when he says, Christ died for our sins in accordance with the scriptures that he was buried in and he was raised on the third day in accordance with the scriptures. This is the truth that we all embrace if we are a part of this community. And I'm not talking about just attenders. tenders. I'm talking about those whose hearts have been changed by the Spirit of God. They've been translated from the, the, the spirit of, of darkness into the spirit of light, and they believe in Jesus. They believe in what we know about Jesus, what this Bible teaches about Jesus, and they have this love for him in community. Word on the street was that they were true believers, that these Young believers, this young church had the three ingredients in verse 4, faith in Jesus, love for the saints, and a hope laid up in heaven. But in spite of that, see, so this is a good one right here. I'm going to pause. In spite of that, they had the right theology. They had the right doctrine. But in spite of that, there was a rising heresy in Colossae. And I didn't mention this in the, in the, in the first service, because this is my favorite service, so I give you a little extra, right? Give you a little extra, give you some extra, give you the big piece of chicken, right? <laughs> this church had a group of Jewish believers, a Jewish community lived in Colossae, and also a group of Greek Uh, 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 Gentiles, a mixture of people, lived in Colossae, and they were very close. They were so close and loving on one another that their closeness also allowed them to embrace the theological error on both sides. They were so close, listen, they were so close that they were getting things all messed up. Because they were talking to one another, and the the Jewish uh, uh, people in the community were giving them some extra things that they were trying to add to the gospel. And the Gentiles were giving them some extra things that they were adding to the gospel. We know that it had two components, the Greek philosophy component and Jewish legalism. The Jewish legalism that denied the deity of Christ, believing he was like an angel, and it denied the suffering of Christ. So we see Paul throughout this great epistle addressing the error directly and indirectly. There's a need for theological clarity, theological accuracy. Mispronouncing the Pentateuch is one thing. Misunderstanding who Jesus is could have eternal consequences. Chapter 1, verses 1 through 23 is very important for us to understand. There's great theology in that portion of Paul's letter. But that being said, to our text this morning, Paul writes, Now I rejoice in my suffering for your sake, and in my flesh I am filling up what is lacking in Christ's afflictions, for the sake of his body, that is, the church. And Paul says, now I rejoice in my suffering. You see, God's use of Paul's suffering to give assurance to believers was to give assurance to believers that God is at work. See, they were feeling bad about Paul being locked up. Paul had been arrested a few times and he found himself in prison again found himself locked up, found himself in a situation that John Lewis would call good trouble, but he rejoices in the suffering. And Philippians gives us 1, 12, chapter 1, verses 12, 14, gives us some color behind what Paul is talking about. This is what he says. He says, I want you to know, brothers, that what has happened to me has really served to advance the gospel, okay? So I, I, want you to, I want you to follow Paul's thinking that he was in under house arrest. He was chained to a guard. And again, they were feeling bad for Paul. But I was like, no, 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 no. God is using this to advance the gospel. So you guys can have joy. You can, you can don't feel sorry for me. Be glad because God is at work, Amen. So listen, so that it has become known throughout the whole imperial guard and to all the rest that my imprisonment is for Christ. So the whole guard knew this is what was going on. Paul was chained to a guard. The guard would come. Paul would preach the gospel to him. His heart would be converted. He would go out, share the gospel with others. They would be converted. Another guard would come in. He would get converted. Repeat. That's what was happening. And so Paul is saying these chains that I have are actually a mechanism that God is using to get the gospel out to the world. Don't feel bad for me. God is at work. Most of the brothers, back to the text, having become confident in the Lord by my imprisonment, are much more bold to speak the word without fear. It was doing something to the brethren. They were saying, man, if this is what Paul is doing and the gospel is going out, we can do it too. God can move through anything. And so Paul was using this to encourage them. Because God sometimes uses suffering for the advancement of the gospel. Now, this isn't personal suffering. Right. This isn't the things that we go through. Remember, Paul was the was the leader of the church at that time. He was he was the most prominent figure in the church at that time. And so Satan's idea is if I can stop Paul, I can stop the gospel. Right. A very different than the suffering we go through. This is actually a dark thing that Satan is doing against the church. It still goes on now. He's trying to stop the gospel from spreading. And Paul says, rejoice. One of the things I was thinking about was how God uses different things to advance his gospel. right? I, I, I see in Jonah. Remember Jonah? He didn't want to go to Tarsus. So he gets on a ship and goes the other way, and the text says, God hurled a storm (whistles) at Jonah. God does that sometimes, right? We don't know what God is doing, but we do have a perspective that we can look back on, and we say, oh, I see what God was doing. I see his hand. One of the things that I was thinking about was, was what happened in the church with COVID, that we were, we were separated from one another. Remember that time? It wasn't too long ago, right? We were separated from, we were, had to do church through television, right? And remember how we felt when we got to come together again, that, that first service that you were here. How did you feel? You know, I think, that one of the things that God may have been doing was showing us that we were taking for granted the time we had together. We 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 had this movie theater type of, of, of experience with church. Right? We come in, we watch the show, and then we leave. It's not what church is. You know, and it wasn't until we were separated from one another, we couldn't, oh, I wish I could, I I had Bob's number. I could call him. I don't have Bob's number. Why? Because I've just been saying hi to Bob. Never ask Bob for his number. Never ask Bob how he's doing, just, hey, Bob. How often do we do that? God wants us to have deep fellowship here, not just this high and by movie theater experience. But I digress. There are two things I want to flesh out of the text as it relates to community that I believe would be helpful for us this morning. Two things I believe should identify the community of faith in Christ. And once we embrace the gospel, we become followers of Christ, and then what flows out of that? What do people pick up about us? If we were to take an assessment of everyone who had visited this campus for the whole year and just ask them, what do you think about this community? What do you feel? What do you smell? What do you sense about this community? What would it be? We should know what it is because Paul says what it should be is hope and love. Hope and love. We should be a community of hope and a community of love. Simply put, the Christian community is composed of those who love Jesus and fellowship with each other. When the world sees the church in action, they should see the true love of Jesus and perhaps find themselves attracted to Christ also. That there is this physical witness to the gospel. Right, That is not there if it's a movie experience or a country club experience or any type of group experience that is, that is not focused and centered on the persons of Jesus Christ. I love to use the example, in the Middle East, you have the Palestinians and the Jews. They don't, they, they don't like each other very much. And they've been at war for a long time. But imagine... If you went into a church service and you saw Palestinians and Jews worshiping Jesus together, you would look at that and the people in that region who know how volatile that relationship, that, that relationship is between those two groups would look at that and say, what is going on? It would blow their mind. That's the experience that people should get when they come in this, in this fellowship. They should have their mind blown because of Jesus. right? Every one of you that is here is here because of the cross. right? If Jesus had not died for your sins, you would be somewhere. You would be in a restaurant somewhere celebrating Mother's Day. You wouldn't have a church to go to. But because of Jesus... He has a people that he's gathered together in community that love each other and worship him. And that's what this is. This is a supernatural entity. Do you think of yourselves that way? Do you think of the person sitting next to you? I'm not talking about your wife or husband or kids. I'm talking about the other person, right, that you don't know. Do you look at them and say, because of Jesus, I am here with you? And so now it's my responsibility to love on you, to get to know you. Do we think of it like that? We should be a community of hope and a community of love. Back to the text. Verse 27, to them God chose to make known how great among the Gentiles are the riches of the glory of this mystery, which is Christ in you, the hope of glory. Now, this is the apex of this text that we're working through today, and we're going to be dealing with this idea of Christ in you, the hope of glory. Amen? There are three aspects I want us to look at this morning of this idea of hope of glory that I want us to consider that will help us, I think, as a community of faith. The first is this idea of our hope of destination, our hope of destination. For the believer, there is a hope beyond the grave because Jesus Christ has opened the door to heaven for us by his death and resurrection. It's a quote by Billy Graham. And he's got it right. He said, as believers, we have this hope of a place called heaven that we all, if we're truly believers, will one day experience. He has caused us, 1 Peter 1, 3 and 4, he has caused us to be born again to a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead to an inheritance that is imperishable, undefiled, and unfading, kept in heaven for you. Heaven should be desired. There should be this hope of destination that one day I'm going to be in heaven with all of you. Well, some of you. But I'm hoping all of you, right, that one day we're going to be in heaven together, worshiping Jesus with all the saints. Philippians 3.20 says this, our citizenship is in heaven, and from it we await a Savior, the Lord Jesus Christ. This is not our home. This is not our home. This is like going on an extended vacation, staying in a hotel. That hotel can really be nice and you can enjoy it, but it's not home. This is not our home. We have a home, and one day we get to go home. Our hope of glory is not just the hope of our destination but also a hope of the redemption of our bodies. Romans 8.23 says this, we ourselves who have the first fruits of the spirit groan inwardly as we await for adoption as sons, listen, the redemption of our bodies, right? John Piper says this about Romans 8.23, whatever suffering or pain or frustration or disappointment a child of God endures now in this present age It will seem as nothing when compared with the glory that the child of God will experience in the age to come. That would be heaven. The sufferings of this present time are not worth comparing with the glory that is to be revealed to us. He goes on to say this. Paul teaches us to hope for the redemption of our bodies. He says that it is all right not to want to hurt It is all right to want to be out of the wheelchair and off the crutches and the cortisone and the Tylenol. It's all right to want to see and hear like you could when you were 20, amen. It's all right to want to be an energetic, strong person. Our destination, the redemption of our bodies. No matter what infirmities we're going through, one day, We are going to be perfect, and we look forward to that. That's our hope, and we talk about that. You know, one of the things I like to talk about, and I like to have discussion about, and I like to think about is, is what body do I get, God? Do I get my 18-year-old body, or do I like my 27-year-old body? Do I get that one? Do I get to choose? I mean, those are the kinds of conversations we can have, right? Because we know that there's a hope, and we can think and dream about those kinds of things. We're a community of hope. Another aspect of our hope of glory is seeing Christ in His heavenly glory. Oh, I don't do this justice. I don't don't do this one. I, I I don't do justice. Hebrews, well, you probably think you didn't do the other two justice either, but go ahead, have at it. <laughs> Hebrews 1.3, he is the radiance of the glory of God and the exact imprint of his nature, and he upholds the universe by the word of his power. After making purification for sins, he sat down at the right hand of, the majest- of, of majesty on high. He is the radiance of the glory of God. This is the Jesus that we, we worship. Or how about this in, in Revelations 21, 23? Divine glory is often depicted as blazing light that we'll fully see on the final day. The city does not need the sun or the moon to shine on it for the glory of God gives it light and the lamb is its lamp. Jesus is light. But let's go into it a little deeper. In Genesis 1 3, God says, Let there be light. You all know it, right? Amen? Come on, be with me. There you go. God said, let there be light, and there was light, and God saw that the light was good, and God separated the light from the darkness. God called the light day, and the darkness he called night, and there was evening, and there was morning the first day. But listen, he doesn't make the sun until verse 16. He doesn't make the sun until verse 16. Well, what was this good light? that he's talking about here in in verse three. The light that filled the earth was Jesus himself, and one day we will experience that. That in some way, God is trying to describe to us that Jesus, his presence is bright enough that it filled the earth with light like the sun. And something about, and we don't know because we've never been there, but something about being in that presence, seeing that light is awesome. It's unbelievable. It, I, we don't even have the words to describe it. It is so beautiful. And we one day will experience that. Together, we sing in Amazing Grace, there's a, there's a verse that says, and when we've been there 10,000 years, bright shining as the sun, we've no less days to sing God's praise than when we first begun. It's this idea that for 10,000 years, we experienced this light of Christ, and it's like a day. It's so awesome. We are a community that puts our hope in Jesus Christ, that through his death and resurrection, he has given us this great hope and lives in us. The future destination. This place is not our home. We long for something better. We long for something better, not just individually, but corporately. We long for something better. We long for the redemption of our bodies as we deal with aging and sickness and and whatever sin has placed in this earth that bring about this, this, this suffering for humans. We long for the redemption of our bodies, that one day this is not going to be true. And one day we hope that we experience Christ in all his heavenly glory, and it will be spectacular. We are also a community of love. In the text, chapter 2, verses 2 through 3, being knit together in love and unto all riches of the full assurance of understanding to the acknowledgement of the mystery of God and of the Father and of Christ, in whom are hid all the treasures of wisdom and knowledge. Now listen, it's not that I would have the full assurance of understanding to the acknowledgement of the mystery of God and of the Father and of Christ it's that we all will have together as a community. This is something that in some way Paul is trying to say, we experience this together. We just don't come here and sing songs and listen to a guy talk for 40 minutes and then go home. It's deeper than that. It's bigger than that. It starts with our hearts being knit together." Now, just for a second, I, I really love preaching right here. I remember when I first got here, I'm like, man, that stage is so far away. It's like, but I'm not going to say anything, because they had a little stage here. I said, I'm not going to say anything. I'm, I'm, I'm the new kid on the block. I'm not going to come trying to change everything. But then they did this, and I was like, ah, God gives you the desires of your heart. Back to our text. Remember the heresy Paul is praying that our faith would not be derailed, that we all attain the knowledge and wisdom and understanding, all the treasures of godly wisdom and understanding, but it starts with our hearts being knit together. Listen, this is how this happens. We're not saying that truth is important. Knowledge isn't important. Study to show yourself approved. You got to know the word. But listen, we learn truth, but we experience love. Okay. We learn truth. We got to go in here and dig this stuff out of here. But love is different. Love, you catch love, right? When, when, When my wife says, my husband loves me, what does she mean by that? Right? It may be slightly different with other people, but it's something that you feel, and you know it when you see it. And that's what we do. That's why our hearts need to get knit together so that we can love one another, because this person might just need a conversation, a call every once in a person. This person might need something else. That person might need something else. Our needs need to be met here, spiritual needs I'm talking about, but also our personal physical needs too. Our hearts need to be knitted together. We can study great doctrines of our faith, but we must be shown how to love. Right? Now, it's Mother's Day, so I I know that in, in Ephesians, Paul says this this is another big piece of chicken. Um, Paul says this. He says, wives, love your husbands. I mean, respect your husbands and husbands love your wives, right? He doesn't tell wives to love their husbands, even though it's implied, but the instruction is you respect your husband. The instruction is, husbands, you need to love your wives. Why does Paul say that? I'll tell you why Paul says that. Because women know how to love. They are love machines. They know how to do it, right? They have a problem with respecting us because there's times when we don't, we don't deserve respect. That's what they're going to struggle with. They're not going to struggle with loving us. They're going to struggle with respecting us. But men struggle with loving their wives. Men don't have a problem with respecting their wives. They'll open the door for us. You know. They, they, knew, they do all the respect stuff. Their problem is loving. And God puts us in relationship with the love machines so that they rub off on us and we learn how to love in that relationship. When I was younger, in my 20s, I used to go see my mom. She lived close by, and I would go see her a couple times a month, maybe more than that. But every once in a while, I would go on a Saturday and I would, I would go to church with her. And my mom has been going to that church for a very long time, godly woman. Um, and I remember every time I would go to that church, the men, sometimes two, sometimes four, maybe even five or six, would pray for me. They would stop me and they would pray for me. And I remember thinking about, wow, this is amazing. I don't know what this is. I'm not even a believer, but I like it. I feel it. This is doing something to my heart. And as I got older and I started walking in my faith, I, rem- I reminisce back to that moment. And listen to this. It wasn't so much... That they loved me. It was in a sense. But really, they were praying for me because they loved my mother. I love you so much that as you bring this need to us, I don't, this guy doesn't have to come but once a year. But when he comes, we love you so much that we're going to pray that God changes their heart. That's church. That's what this knitting their hearts together meant, that that your concern now becomes my concern. Your needs become my needs. Your desire becomes my desire. And as a community, we lift up Jesus by having an expression like that. We learn truth, but we experience love. In his book, Mere Christianity, C.S. Lewis writes... Do not waste your time bothering whether you love your neighbor. Act as if you did. As soon as we do this, we find one of the great secrets. When you are behaving as if you love someone, you will presently come to love them. The remarkable growth of the early church in the Roman Empire was due to the kind of community they created, not in communes, but in networks of loyal, loving, humble, affectionate, respectful, sacrificial relationships. The fearful and fragmented pagans saw it and were drawn to it. In other words... There are reasons for why Paul commands us to love each other with affection and outdo one another in showing honor. These things are not like Christmas ornaments on the tree of faith. They're like branches or fruit on the tree of faith. They belong to the very nature of who we are in Christ. What I'm talking about, this community I'm talking about is who we are. This is who we are. This isn't a counterfeit. I listened to a guy one time and as a counselor, and and the wife was 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 um, in there and she was telling, she was complaining about her husband, saying, This isn't the man that I married. I got married and he's so different now. I don't know who this man is. And the counselor said, No, no, no. He says, That's who your husband really is, the guy that you see in front of you. The guy you were dating was the fake. You see, sometimes in Christianity, we try to fake it with superficial things. And even by deeper things like knowing your Bible, quoting scripture, being able to articulate doctrines. But Paul speaks to that in 1 Corinthians 13. He says this. If I speak in the tongues of men and of angels, but have not love, I am a noisy gong or cl- a clanging cymbal. And if I pr- have prophetic powers and understand, listen, these, are, these next things I'm going to read are the things that Paul said this community had. Listen, in, in 1 Corinthians 13. And they understand all mysteries and all knowledge. And, and if I have all faith, so as to remove mountains, but have not love, I am nothing. If I give away all I have, if I deliver up my body to be burned, but have not love, I gain nothing. Nothing. Goes down in verse 8, he says, This love never ends. As for prophecies, they will pass away. As for tongues, they will cease. As for knowledge, it will pass away. For we know in part and we prophesy in part. But when the perfect comes, the partial will pass away. Then he says, When I was a child, I spoke like a child. I thought like a child. I reasoned like a child. When I became a man, I gave up childish ways. For now we see in a mirror dimly, but then face to face. Now I know in part, then I shall know fully, even as I have been fully known. Spiritual maturity is not so much about what you know. It's about how you're catching this idea of love. That's how you mature. Because this love is not fake. You can't fake it. You can't duplicate it. It comes from God. It's very unique. Only his people possess it. So you want to look, just find out if the guy that you're dating is a real Christian, see how he loves. That gal that you want to marry, see how she loves. I think there's so much divorce because people like that gal are dating fakes. And then they get in the marriage, and the real person emerges, and they don't have the love of God at all. Let's be a community that's real. Let's be a community that loves one another. What does that look like? I could tell you a couple ways that it looks like, and they're real simple. You know, when you come in here and you leave, speak to one another. How's that, for starters? I love you guys. I think that this is um, one of, if not the most loving, caring churches I've ever been a part of. I love I, I love you guys, and, and I'm getting to know you more and more. But there are days that I come in here, and I'm just looking to meet people and say hi. And you look at me, and you divert your eyes so you don't have to speak to me? That I, I, I meet you one day and I'm all psyched and then the next day you act like you don't know me? That people can come into this body for the very first time and sit on a bench out there and no one will say anything to them. And this is the cream in a crop if you ask me. This church... We still have a long way to go. You know why? Because the bar is not like you and me. The bar is God. That's the bar. So we can do better, but it's not us doing it. It is God working through us. We do it in his strength, in his energy, in his power. It's not something that you got to do a lot of busy work for. But if you come in here prayed up, try this next week. You come in here prayed up, ready for worship. You will feel a prompting to speak to people. Go say hi to that guy. Go speak to them. You'll just sense it. And I'm not one of those God told me kind of guys. That's not me. That's not my deal. But I know the leading of the spirit happens, especially in community, because that's what the spirit does. We are bound by the spirit. Our affections for Christ and community happens when we dive deep into the gospel and the person of Jesus Christ. It grows us. It protects us from error. It also gives us a hope for today a blessed hope for tomorrow, and a hunger and thirst for heaven and the presence of Jesus Christ, but it also empowers us to give to the world a gift, something they have never seen, the love of God tangibly expressed in the life of his church. We're the only ones that can give that to the world, the only ones. Don't withhold that gift. Give it up. Amen? As the worship team comes back up, I, I just want to say that if you would, you by your own uh, determination would say that um, you don't know this, this kind of love, that you would not say that you were a Christian, but you want to know how you can get this kind of love. You want to know how you can get that relationship with Jesus that puts you in relationship with his people. You're going to be couples and, and pastors that are going to be all around that would love to talk to you about how that relationship happens. You can come talk to me afterwards. Would love to talk to you about that. It is the most beautiful thing, the most beautiful gift that God has given to this world. And if you would say that you are a Christian, that that would be your assessment that the Spirit of God lives in you. This moment, communion is for you. It is a time, it is a monument when you remember what Jesus Christ did for you to bring you into his kingdom. And we celebrate that in community. Let's pray. Father God, I thank you for this time. I thank you for the word. I thank you, Lord, for this church, for a group of people that you have loved before the foundation of the world that are in relationship with one another. And Lord, I thank you that you allowed my family to be a part of this particular body. I pray, Lord, that you would lift up in our understanding the value and the need of hope and love. And that would be something that identifies us to this dark and fallen world. These things we ask and pray in the precious name of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. Amen. Amen.